All right, church, welcome back to the end of the study in the book of Revelation. What a wild and, and wonderful book we, we've just been going through over the last several weeks. Um, today, today, the aim is to wrap it up, to, to finish the, the verses that we, we didn't quite get to last week. And I, I have basically three objectives today. We're going to, first of all, remind ourselves, you know, the book that we've been going through and, and, and looking at together. And then we're going to go through the last verses and specifically focus on, like, Jesus' last words recorded in the Bible to, to us and, and, and to us. Uh, uh, yeah, just that we're going to see in the Bible. And then I'm going to give you my five um, takeaways, five things that I want to take with me as we move on from this, this whole study. Now, I'll just tell you the challenge before we get going. This, this is the challenge at the end here. Um, it's for you to be thinking of, okay, what are your three to five things? Now that we've gone through the book of Revelation, what are your three to five things that you want to keep remembering as we Get, wrap up this study in the book of Revelation and move on from there. Okay, so that's, that's coming up. Just, that's, that's where we're going. But, but first of all, we're going we're gonna to remember the basic flow of Revelation. We've, remember where, how we've gone, uh, the, the journey we've gone on in this study. The, the book starts in chapter 1, and it starts with this look at Jesus. And, and not, not the Jesus that we were reading about necessarily in the Bible. I mean, the same Jesus, not the one uh, described exactly like we read in, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and, Luke, and John. But this is a Jesus that doesn't sleep in the boat anymore. This is a Jesus that, that isn't hungry anymore. This is a glowing Jesus, a fire-eyed Jesus, an all-knowing, all-powerful Jesus, this incredible uh, King of kings, Lord of lords, the God of the Bible, Jesus. This is an extraordinary view of, of Jesus and a recalibrating view uh, of, of what Jesus is like now, what he's like now in, in our day. So we started looking off at Jesus and reorienting our perspective of, of the one that's returning. And then we looked at his letters. He wrote seven letters to some churches, to his churches. And the letters, they have some encouragement. They have some rebuke. They, they have some um, exhortation. Hey, be faithful and, and you know, stay with me and, and repent and all that kind of stuff. So we went through those. And then after that, in chapters 4 and 5, we saw this glorious view of heaven. This, this scene in heaven where, where God is on the throne and he's being worshipped and you hear, holy, 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 Lord God, the Almighty, the one who was and is and is to come. And he's worshipped. Why is he worshipped? Well, then they, they say, you're, you're worthy because you created all things. And, and you just see this great worship scene in, in heaven, just, uh, just dazzling. And then in that worship scene... Uh, there's a, there's a question, you know, who is worthy to take the scroll out of the hand of, of God on the throne? Who's able to, who's worthy? And, and no one was found worthy except for then one steps forward, one being who is found worthy. And it's Jesus, it's the lion and the lamb. And, and Jesus steps forward and he takes the scroll out of the hand of the Almighty. And, 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 and heaven explodes in worship and you are worthy, you are worthy because, because by your blood, by your, because you were slain and by your blood you purchased people from God, from every tongue and tribe and people and nation. So there's this great worship of Jesus as the worthy one. And, and then he takes the scroll and he starts breaking the seals. There's seven seals on this scroll in his hand. And every time in heaven he breaks one of these seals, something happens on earth. One of the horsemen of the apocalypse is released or, 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 or war breaks out. or The things happen as, as Jesus breaks these seven seals. After he breaks the seven seals, there are seven... 
angelic trumpeters, and, and as they blow each one of the seven trumpets, more things take place on earth. And, and what's happening is the justice, the good and right justice of God is finally being poured out. Not in its totality, but in, in increasing severity. And, and the nations are give, giving it, given a chance to repent and to, to renounce the ways that, they, that they've been living in, in anti-God ways. But most of them don't. And you, so you see um, heaven rightly bringing about good justice, well-deserved justice for those who hate God and for those who hate God's people and, and who have treated them horribly. So that's breaking out. Now, after the seventh trumpet, there, there's, this, there's a break in the book, and, and it's a, a big shift that takes place. So you've got, at that moment, you, you see like this curtain being pulled back, and you get the, the why. You get this great explanation of what's going on. And you discover that the things taking place on earth and, and just things being awful as they can be for believers, um, all of that is, is due to there's a, a gigantic spiritual war going on in the heavens. And, and you see, okay, there's this dragon, a Satan, and then you see the, the, the anti-Jesus, the anti-Christ, and you see the, the false prophet, and then you see Babylon. And these four beings are, are, are just evil towards the church and deceiving the nations and, and uh, doing horrible things. And, and there's this cry, like, how long is this going to last? God, when are you going to intervene? Well, you get, you get through that section, and then there is the final seven, in this case, bowls that are being poured out of God's justice and wrath. And with these bowls, God's justice is, is done. It's done being poured out on the earth. He pours out the seven, and then, and then it's time for the end. And we see how Babylon is thrown down. We see how Jesus returns and throws the uh, false, false Jesus, the Antichrist, and the false prophet, and the dragon ultimately into the lake of fire. And then we came to Judgment Day in chapter 20, where everyone who's ever lived has to stand before God and give an account of their lives. And we saw how the books are opened. And the books recount all the deeds uh, of life, and then nobody's going to pass based on the deeds of their life, and so there's this other book. And in that book, it's the book of the Lamb, it's the book of Jesus, and, and in the book we've talked about for several weeks now, there's no deeds, just names. Those who have given their lives to Jesus, and we talked about how that's the gospel in a nutshell. No deeds, just names. Those who have given their lives to Jesus. So, so we see that scene, and then flowing out of Judgment Day, that those who um, have rebelled against God and those who had chosen to follow the, the way of the dragon, they go with him and join him in the lake of fire, whereas those who have walked in the ways of Jesus um, will be, and whose names are in the book of life, are going to be rewarded. And they go into eternity, and we talked about eternity last week. And we talked about how, yeah, sure, streets of gold, great, uh, jasper and pearls and and lots of gemstones that I could never name. In fact, even now, I, there's certain ones I'm like, I, I, I just can't even, I'm not even going to try. Just, but just, we saw the beauty of it all. But I think one of the comments that I made that continues to stand out in my head is, is it's, not, um, it's not so much the beauty of, of eternity that captivates me as much as it is the end of suffering. That death is no more. That grief is no more. I'm like, I don't care if the streets are paid, paved with gold. If things are right, if things are just, if, if, if there's no more pain, 
There's no more grief, death. Like, that's, what, that's the glorious thing about eternity. So we, we looked at that uh, last week, and, and we got you know, a little bit into the last chapter of the Bible. But today we're going to pick up with the last words, the last words uh, of Jesus and the last words in the book. And I'm going to spend some time talking about mostly Jesus' words in this time, but, but we'll get there. We're going to start in Revelation chapter 22. And we're going to pick up in verse 6, kind of the same verse we ended with last week. This is what we read in Revelation 22, 6. It says, Then he, which is the angel who's talking with John, then he said to me, These words are faithful and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. Look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the word of the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. When I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had shown them to me. But he said to me, don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you, your brothers, the prophets, and those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. Now what we're gonna see, and we talked about that a little bit last, last week, as we've looked at this whole study in the book of Revelation, and we've seen some of the most, the most um, I'm going to say unbelievable, but in air quotes, these, these challenging words and these, these, these uh, stunning pictures uh, of, of what's going on. And, and we see how amazing heaven's going to be. It's very, it'd be very easy to be like, okay, seriously? Is this true? Is, is eternity with God really true? Is that true? And the Bible keeps driving home, yes, it's true. Yes, it's true. These words are faithful and true. You, they're, they're, they're accurate. You can, you can take them. You can count on them. Now, in contrast, you've, you see that John's not perfect. Uh, John, again, he, he did this before in the book. He, he bows down to worship an angel, and the angel's like, no, don't do that, right? I love that about, about John here. He's not trying to set himself up as Mr. Perfect. He's trying to set up Jesus as Mr. Perfect, right? So, you know, he, he's like, I, I messed it up. I messed it up a few times here. And I got, I got worshiping the wrong thing. I was just pretty dazzled by what I was seeing there. So John doesn't get it right. Earlier in the book, we saw that the, the churches in, in Revelation, they don't, they're not getting it right. The church, no church is perfect. But you know what is perfect? The Word of God. You know what is perfect? Jesus. And that's, and that's what we're just zooming in on at the very end of the book here. Worship God. Then, verse 10, then he said to me, don't seal up the words of the prophecy of this book because the time is near. Let the unrighteous go on in unrighteousness. Let the filthy still be filthy. Let the righteous go on in righteousness. Let the holy still be holy. Okay, that's a little bit of a strange passage you wouldn't be expecting that after going through this book you'd be expecting hey repent if, if you're unrighteous you know, turn to Jesus and, and and believe in Jesus and be saved what's going on here is this is a this there's a mirror passage to this in Daniel chapter 12 Daniel 12 you, you go back you look at Daniel chapter 12 you're gonna see judgment day you're gonna see the books are opened you're gonna see the one book is open with the names you're gonna see all of these same things flowing along in Daniel chapter 12 
One of, the thi- one of the verses in Daniel 12, verse 10, says something very similar, and it can help us understand kind of what's being said here in this moment. In Daniel uh, 12, 10, it says, Many will be purified, cleansed, and refined, but the wicked will act wickedly. None of the wicked will understand, but those who have insight will understand. Now, obviously, after going through this book, the, the answer isn't like, if you're evil, it doesn't matter. Just go on doing that. I mean, we just found out Judgment Day is coming, and, we, and God wants people to repent and be saved, to turn from evil and, and do good. But uh, there's also a sense of like, okay, the evil, those who are unrighteous, they're, they're, gonna, they're not going to get it. They're not going to be seeing what's going on. In fact, we saw that plague after plague, judgment after judgment, just a, a non-responsiveness to, to what God's doing. And so it's like, you know, okay, wicked, okay, the wicked, you continue to be wicked, but let the righteous be so different than the wicked. Let, let God's people be, like, let there be a massive distinction between those who are Jesus' people living righteous and holy lives versus filthy lives, versus unrighteous lives. So we see that, again, you can look back at, at Daniel chapter 12 for, for more on that. And then we come to the words of Jesus. Now, I'm going to read them all, and then I'm going to come back, and I'm going to highlight six of these words. Uh, But here's the the words of Jesus, the last words of Jesus, other than in verse 20 when Jesus says, yes, I am coming soon. Okay, I I gave that away. He's going to say that after these words, but it's basically the exact same way he starts in this verse, verse 12 here. The final words of Jesus. Look, Jesus says, I am coming soon. And my reward is with me to repay each person according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter the city by the gates. Outside of the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to attest these things to you for the churches. I am the root and descendant of David, the bright morning star. Okay. Six words I want to just highlight. The first word that I want to highlight is the word soon. The word soon. He says, yes, I am, I'm coming soon. I'm coming soon. Now, Sometimes in my life, I've, I felt like Jesus is saying, hey, Brian, this is going to happen. This is going to happen soon. What I'm hearing is something like, this is going to happen in the next couple days. I mean, I don't know what your definition of soon is, but my definition of soon is basically in the next couple days. Maybe, maybe, maybe in the next week or two, in the next couple weeks. I mean, maybe. That's really stretching the word soon. But, I mean, okay, maybe, maybe even a couple months. Adam, Jesus' definition of soon and my definition of soon, they're not in very much sync with one another. I mean, Jesus is like, I'm coming soon, you know, a couple of thousand years on. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm coming soon. Um, I don't know. He's, he's the author of life, so I kind of have to go with his definition. But his definition is sure different than my definition. But again, like so many things, the call of Jesus is to live with perpetual 
expectancy. To live expecting. To live expecting any moment Jesus can come back. To, to, to live expecting, but also patiently. And again, I have such a hard time keeping those two together. I'm either expecting and, and, and anticipating, or I'm waiting and patient. But usually when I'm anticipating something so good, I'm, 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 I'm struggling to be patient. I'm struggling to be patient. But here Jesus is setting, setting it up so clearly. I'm coming soon. Live with anticipation. Now, believing, <clears throat> believing that just because something takes a long time to happen, or it doesn't happen in our definition of the word soon, doesn't mean it's not going to happen. Doesn't mean it's not going to happen. I remember sitting around uh, campfires at, at Bible camp growing up and, and kids being like, you know, Jesus hasn't come back yet. Why, why would I think he's going to come back anytime soon? Because it hasn't happened yet. But the fact that it didn't happen yesterday actually makes it more likely that it happens tomorrow. We're getting closer, right? Because it's going to be. It's going to be. Again, it, this is one of the great heart tests. tests. Anytime we hear God saying, this is going to happen, the delay, sometimes our inability to, to perceive it coming together challenges our faith, challenges our, our, our sense of, will God keep his word? Will God keep his promises to us? And for a lot of people, the return of Jesus is one of those things. Will God keep his word and return? Because it seems to be taking a long time, and it hasn't happened yet. And I don't know if I see it falling into place yet. Remember, God can answer and he can act in ways where you see it coming a long ways out or in the blink of an eye, instantly. And it's, a, it's a faith test. The second word I want to point out is reward. Reward. Now, I've really driven home this concept of no deeds, just names. And I, and I hinted a little bit at it last week that it doesn't mean how you live doesn't matter. Uh, we've talked about the re there are genuine rewards for, for following Jesus. Uh, that, that you, going into eternity, just experiencing the great rewards of, of God. But also, I, I don't want to underplay how significant how we live is when it comes to our salvation. And I'm not backtracking one bit when it comes to no deeds, just names. But I want you to hear a very full, a more full answer. I happen to be reading in 1 John this week. Same author, John right? And first John, and, and he, he's writing and he writes about salvation and, and all this kind of stuff. And he writes this in first John chapter two, verse three. He writes, this is how we know that we know him. This is how we know that we know him. If we keep his commands. Sometimes I'm like, okay, friend, Follow God. Let, let, give your life to following God. I have given my life to follow God. Are you following God? Mm, not really. Okay, are you following God? Well, I said I'm following God. Are you following God? Like, are you actually following God with your life? Well, I, 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 I said I would. But are you? Right? And, and here John's like, this is how we know that we know him, if we keep his commands. The one who says, I have come to know him, and yet doesn't keep his commands, is a liar. He doesn't know him. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, 
truly in him, the love of God is made complete. This is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. In the very least, there is a confirmation when you are setting out to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. Now, this isn't about being perfect. John also says anybody who says that they're without sin is a liar. There's not an expectation of, of a perfection here, and yet is there intention going on in your life? Are you actually following Jesus with your life? Again, you're not saved by deeds. No deeds, just name. But so much of the confirmation and the reality is based on I'm actually following Jesus. I've set my life to following Jesus. Yeah, so there's that, and then there's, there's definitely rewards for following Jesus well. Rewards for enduring suffering, rewards for not giving up, for rewards for not giving into fear. Okay, rewards. The third thing that I wanted to highlight, the third word, is, okay, this isn't really a word, it's a couple letters. Alpha and Omega. Alpha and Omega. Now, We've seen this before in the book of Revelation, but this is the first time Jesus has said it about himself. Now, I was in the shower this morning thinking about this. You're welcome, my shower. Uh, I was in the shower this morning thinking about this. I'm like, okay, wait, okay, okay. I, I know what my notes say. I know that the notes say this is the first time Jesus said this about himself. But I thought he said this about himself in chapter one. Am I making this up? So I got out of the shower and dried off and got all ready. And then I went back and I flipped back to my Bible to chapter 1. Oh, no, that wasn't Jesus. That was God himself saying this about himself. God the Father saying that he's the Alpha and the Omega. And then I was like, oh, that's even more amazing. That, that, that the Father would be called the Alpha and the Omega. And then Jesus would attribute that to himself as well. It's pretty powerful. Alpha and Omega. The fourth thing that I want to highlight is the word blessed, or if you're totally old school, blessed, blessed, uh, blessed. So in, you know, Matthew chapter five, you've got the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed, all that sort of, you also have the Beatitudes in Luke, and you see like blessed are the poor, things like that. Was it, would it surprise you? Okay, there's, I think there's like 11 blessed in Matthew. There's like four blessed in, in Luke. Does it surprise you that there are seven blessed, blesseds in the book of Revelation? Anybody surprised at this point? Seven beatitudes, seven blessed are the, uh, this is the seventh one. Now, if you, if you word search this in English, you'll find eight. And I'm just going to let you know, I, I, I'm not making this up, um, that in that, there, in one verse, there's two in English, blessed. It's just so that you don't get lost. Actually, there's only one in the context, but it's, it's just to help the translation make, be more clear and make more sense. There's, there's seven blessed here. In this one, blessed are those who, who, washed, who, who washed their robes, who have given their lives to Jesus, who have been purified, and, and though their sins were as scarlet, they've been made white as snow. And so, so they, those are the ones, and, and what do they get? Why are they blessed? Those who have washed, washed themselves, they, they have... They receive access to the tree of life, the thing that was banned Adam and Eve, and free access into the city of God, the, the new Jerusalem, eternity with God, the dazzling place. What a blessing. Okay, number five, the fifth word of Jesus that I want to highlight is outside, 
outside. And we're going to say outside, you know, like the, the murderers and the sorcerers and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and this moment is the perfect moment for a joke in the Bible. But I can't figure out the joke. I'll tell you what I'm thinking. I have tried three times today to land this joke. And either people are angry at me or it just, or it just it's awkward and it doesn't work. So you, you've got outside, meaning not in the city, not in heaven, are you know, the sexually immoral and all this kind of things, and the dogs. It started with outside are the dogs. And I'm like, this is the perfect moment to make a, do a dog's joke. And, and man, I was like, you know, out, outside, if you, if you don't like dogs, this is your verse to memorize outside of the dogs. Man, I get angry eyes. Like this, I don't know what the joke is. And then I'm also sitting here thinking, my mom usually streams the evening service. I gotta be really careful because she has a new dog. And, 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 and even after the morning service, somebody's showing me this picture. Hey, here's my wife streaming with a dog on her lap. I'm like, oh man, this got out of control. I don't, I don't know what the right joke is here, but someone can figure it out. And, and, and yeah. There's definitely some, some sensitive buttons when you talk about people's dogs. I'm not talking about your dogs. I'm talking about dog, other dogs. Um, but I will say, in the, in the Middle East, culturally, dogs are not uh, the cuddly, awesome house pet things. They're, 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 they're not so great. And so this is figuratively talking about those who are you know, spiritually disgusting, repulsive, and... Uh, and predators. I'm, I'm not making any comments about your dogs. I, I'm really not. I, this, is, this is awkward. I'm going to just keep moving on. Hey, all creatures of our God and King, God loves dogs, right? He, he made them beautiful, wonderful. I had a dog growing up. There's some sad stories about that. Anyways, we got this outside. Why does John keep bringing up this idea of who's not going to be in eternity? Who's not? Why does he keep bringing this up? This keeps coming up. Well, remember, at the beginning of the book, you've got uh, chapters 2 and chapter 3, and you get this insight into the churches that he's writing to. And we find that there are some in these churches that are faithful and that are, that are connected to God. They're living godly, holy, obedient lives. But then there's others in the churches that are sexually immoral that are practicing witchcraft, that are getting way away from following God, and they're not even close. And you find out that, that, there, that there's hypocrites, and Jesus, when he's calling out the people in his churches, he's like, be faithful, be holy, be obedient, and, and, and you know, don't follow Jezebel or the way of Balaam, just the immorality ways, the, the evil ways. And so we keep getting reminded as we go through this, this book that don't be deceived, don't be deceived. If you're not following Jesus, you're not following Jesus, and you're not going where Jesus is going. Now, I understand the gospel is no deeds, only names. I get that. But there's also another strong message going on in the book. It matters how you live. And it keeps going back and forth. If you, if you feel pretty confident and just live in a compromise however you feel like you want to live, it's, you know it's quite a bit of a divergence or a bit of a divergence from how Jesus wants you to live, I hope you don't feel comfortable. I hope you don't feel comfortable. I hope you feel agitated. The call and the warnings of the Bible is to actually follow Jesus, to follow Jesus. Outside are those who aren't. It's supposed to be a quick wake-up moment. That's what, that's what these are intended for in this book. That's the fifth one. The sixth one is the word root. 
And I love, I love it. I was, I was just struck by it when I read it. I was like, wait, Jesus is the root of David and the descendant of David. He, he has to be, to be the Messiah, the descendant of David and the root of David. He has to uh, be before David and from David. It's this impossible thing that only Jesus actually fulfills and, and it's part of the proof of him being Messiah. And I was just like, oh, that's so amazing. The root and descendant of David. Uh, I, I love it how Jesus, no matter how impossible it seemed that someone could be born that could be David's Lord and his descendant, we find it in Jesus. God made a way, God found a way to, to say something that would be so precisely Jesus and Jesus only, highlighting that he is the savior that we've all been waiting for. Okay, so those are the, the words of Jesus there. And so he's basically, I'm coming soon and, and, and all this sort of thing. And the response to Jesus' words are this in verse 17. Both the spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone who hears say, come. Let, let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life freely. And, and there's, there's a couple different audiences here. But when, when John, John, no, not John. When the Spirit and the bride, which is the church, when the people of God, when they hear Jesus is, is coming soon, they're like, yes, do that. Come soon. Come, come now. Yeah, show up. Bring your great power. Reign. Bring justice. Bring all, uh, all the goodness. Bring eternity now. And then, so there's that bit, and then there's an, a gospel appeal to the nation. If, if, nations. If anyone is thirsty, Come. Come to Jesus. Come to be a part of this. If you're thirsty, come. Jesus, return. People of the nations, if you, if you want a part of this, come. It's free. It's freely for those who believe in Jesus. So there's that response. And then there's kind of these last couple verses, the last words in the Bible to, to wrap it up. And again, these are the last words in the Bible. Says John writes, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share of the tree of life and, and the holy city, which are written about in this book. He who testifies about these things, this is Jesus, says, Yes, I am coming soon. John replies, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And then, it, and then the Bible ends with the words, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with everyone. Amen. The last thing we hear Jesus saying is, is he's coming soon. And, and it's like the whole, all of eternity, all, all of time, people are just like, yes, Jesus, come back. Make it right. This, this, is, this is horrible. There's so much evil and injustice and, and wrongness in the world. Come back and make it right. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you've noticed over the years, we start the service one way and we, and we end it uh, in the same way every, every week. And we start off with the sense of, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We start with the first verse of the Bible. And then we, we talk a little bit about the gospel we make sure that everybody hears that God loves them and that the way that God wants us to follow him is by loving him. Not just thinking about him, but actually loving him. And then we talk about 
something in the Bible, and then we end up ending with this, this excitement about the great future day when Jesus returns, and he takes his great power and begins to reign. And then we, we end our services with the words, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with all God's people. The last words here in the Bible. Now, if you're like, wait a minute, uh, it doesn't say Christ here in, in this verse. Um, you, just, you just look down to your footnotes. You'll see, oh, a lot of manuscripts say Christ. And a lot of manuscripts clarify that the, the, this grace is for the saints, for, for, God's, for God's people. So that's, that's how we, we end our services. Okay, I don't know how we did this, but we just, we just went through the book of Revelation together a, as a church. Wow. That was, that was a bit challenging for me, I'm just going to say. Like, as far as studies going, I'm sitting there at times just like, okay, there's this horse and the tail is a serpent biting poison. Ah, yikes. Um, well, let's just read that quickly. Uh, uh, very challenging. And yet, and yet powerful time to really reflect on the truth that Jesus is powerful and he's returning. There's five things that I want to take away from our study here in the book of Revelation. And again, the challenge is going to be what are your three to five things. But the five things that I want to take away from this, this study is, is, is firstly, I never, I mean, I, I believe in creation. I believe that God created, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But I, I never clocked just how essential creation is and that believing in creation to the gospel, to the message of the gospel until this study. And I started realizing, wait, why is God being worshipped? Why is God the Father being worshipped? Because He created. It just keeps coming back. Why are you worthy? Because you created. Why are you allowed to bring justice how you want it done? Because you're, you created it. Why do you get to wrap things up and then bring about a new... Because you created it. And I started seeing that. Well, the, the gospel and the ethical rightness of what God is going to do in the end hinges on the fact that He is the Creator and then I started looking back in, in other books, and I'm going through the book of Acts, and I'm seeing that, wow, when, when people are presenting the gospel in these, in these different cities, Paul and stuff like that, he keeps talking about God as creator. I'm like, did those people believe that God was creator? No. But he wouldn't separate God as creator to the, from the call of the gospel. And I, thinking about that, I was like, no wonder the idea of thinking about or talking about God as creator uh, is, is so under attack in our generation. It's, it's so shamed, it's so mocked, it's so belittled, it's considered intellectually inferior or whatever. And I, I, I'm, I'm sure you're aware of that. That, that, that people want to say, okay, it, it's, it's, it's not intelligent to believe that, that God, God is creator. And, and I just want to say, you know, noth nothing that is scientific fact, fact, disproves that God created and, and I want to be clear about that. Nothing that is true disproves it. There are other interpretations of the facts. And as far, they can go this far. They can say that these are the interpretations that we have of the facts that line up in a plausible way. And when they line up this way, then there is no need to believe in a creator. But that's as far as they can go. You can't, you can't say there is no creator. You can say we have a theory that has no need for one. But that's very different. That's very different. 
I hope you're able to discern what is scientific fact and what is scientific theory. I believe Christians could be the most extraordinary scientists on the planet because they should be able to differentiate more than anyone else fact from theory and, and be able to anchor and come up with new and, and extraordinary thinking based on, based on uh, uh, acing the facts and understanding the facts that, that, are, that are in existence. We, we understand that the universe was created by God out of nothing. Hebrews chapter three, 11, verse 3 says, By faith we understand that the universe cr was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. That holds up scientifically. You really have a hard time when you go back to, was there nothing? And then there was Everything? Or there is always something, and this is here. You go back all the way, and you, you, you struggle. You really struggle. Anyways, uh, don't be quick to give up this idea of God as creator to kind of blend in or fit in. It's at the anchor point of the gospel. The second thing I want to take away is, is when, when the curtain gets peeled back in the book of Revelation, you see this very... Uh, wild spiritual war taking place. And it's easy in our day and age to, to just think, okay, well, well, you know, if, if I can't see it, it, it may not be real or it must not be real. But the Bible is so clear that, that what's taking place on earth is directly flowing out of a spiritual war. I want to make sure that as I go out from here that I am way more dialed in to the spiritual battle taking place and how it's affecting my city, my nation, and my generation. The Bible is very clear about that, and I want to make sure that I'm, I'm dialed in. Paul says it very clear. The battle is not against flesh and blood. It's a very sp spiritual battle. We're called to see. We're called to be alert. We're called to uh, pray connected to this and, and act in line, it, it, impacted by this, this understanding. That's the second thing I want to take away. Thirdly, uh, this great message in the Bible that we're going to just keep pushing, endure and be pure. The, the great call to endure whatever life throws your way, whatever challenges that you're, uh, you're facing, whether it's suffering or grief or injustice, to keep going, to keep going in, in faith, no matter how long you have to wait, to keep going with Jesus. And also to be living a godly, holy life, no matter what you're experiencing. Living through difficult times is not... Uh, entitle you to be able to compromise or to live however you want to endure and be pure fourthly I want to take away and, and this one is is maybe a little bit unusual and, and you're like oh I wouldn't have seen this um, just from what you've been teaching the last 14 weeks um, a love for God's people gathered together as the church and I think as I've been reflecting on this, I'm like, wow, God's people have it rough. They have it rough with, with the enemy just being so wildly hating them. And, 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 even the, and even like in each generation, just people rising up to persecute or mock or belittle uh, the people of God. And I'm like, why would I ever not want to be committed to gathering together with God's people? We need encouraging. Life can be challenging, and if we're not encouraging one another, uh, who is? Who is going to encourage us? And, and sure, every church might be imperfect, and we might all be, uh, you know, like 
suffering in different ways, but I have this, this desire for our church, this vision for our church where, where people would show up and, and before they come, they would be like, God, help me to encourage people today. Help me to, help me to, to bring your encouragement to, to the people I'm going to be sitting next to or the people that I'm going to be interacting with. God, well, how can I encourage them for you? and be a part of your encouragement today. Now, I mean, I love it that people come and, and it's like they want to learn and they want to grow and they want to worship and they want to, they want to hear from God, but I want, I want people to hear through you God's words of encouragement. Uh, just being gathered together, that, that love for God's people in the church. And then the final thing I want to take away is I, I want to never lose the wow and wonder of revelation jesus i want to be constantly dazzled by how extraordinary how mighty jesus is in his godness in his all-knowingness in his glowing like full glowing bright bright as the sun eyes of fire king of kings lord of lords why does jesus win because he's king of kings lord of lords uh, he, he's just all that he's just who he is in all that power and amazingness I hope that you find yourself both humbled, looking at Jesus as he is now, and hopeful, knowing that, okay, if Jesus really is as he's described, he's going to have no issues bringing about all the justice that needs to be brought. Yeah, those are my five big takeaways. What I want you to do is I want you to take out your phone, and I want you to maybe make a note. I want to make a few notes. Uh, I'm going to open up the notes thing here. Maybe a few notes, like what are something that you want to, what, not, uh, some takeaways that you would have from this series. Like some things you want to kind of remember as, as we go forward from here. Just take a moment and make some notes or you can close your eyes and you can just uh, try and remember it. I encourage you to write it down though. While you're writing, uh, if you've not given your life to Jesus, and you want to give your life to Jesus, to follow him, to actually follow him, I, I suggest praying in this time something like this. God, here I am. Forgive me. I dedicate my life to you, Jesus, to following you. Whether things go good or whether things are difficult, I commit myself to living in your ways. Now, God, Jesus, fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Guide me in the way that you would have me to live. Help me live this way. Fill me with courage and boldness to live as you've called me to live.